Amen, amen. You may have a seat. You may have a seat. Welcome everyone to the vineyard. My name is Christian Root. I am the associate pastor here. I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas. It's good to be with you guys this morning. And, and I'm, I'm just going to jump in today. So if you have your Bible, why don't you open it up to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Matthew 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's all right. We've got the Sky Bible behind me. Here's, here's what we read. Kingdom of heaven, and this is Jesus speaking. Kingdom of heaven, he says, it's like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and he sold all he had and bought that field. Again, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. In these two parables, Jesus describes two men who stumble into great fortunes. And these parables, these stories that Jesus would tell, would have made sense to Jesus' listeners at that time. In Jesus' day, we have to understand, there were no banks. There, There was no place to deposit your money. And so when an invading army would would crouch into your territory and begin to, to come into your country, you had really no other choice but to bury your savings, to bury your money. And then, of course, you would go off and you would fight against this invading enemy and hope that you didn't get killed. But if you were killed and you didn't tell anyone else where you had, hit, where you had hidden your, your money, it was just it was gone, right? It was just left for, for someone else to find it. And so this, this story of of stumbling upon buried treasure, stumbling upon uh, this, this pile of great wealth. It's, it's not as far-fetched as, as we might believe. And in Jesus' day, we also have to understand pearls were, were valued much more than they are today. You know, we have, today there's synthetic pearls everywhere, and, and, and the value of pearls has gone way down. But in, in Jesus' day, pearls were, were seen to be extremely valuable. In fact, Cleopatra had two pearls that were worth an estimated $28.5 million in, in today's money. Just two pearls, $28.5 million. And, and so we can imagine that there were pearls in Jesus' day that would have been worth selling everything you own, liquidating all of your assets in order to obtain. And so in these two parables, Jesus is saying to us, do, do you know what it's like to enter into the kingdom of God? Do you, do, you, do you know what it's like to enter into relationship with me? He says it's, it's like finding a treasure of inestimable worth so that everything else in your life just pales in comparison to walking with me and to knowing me. You're just, wor- you're, you're just willing to surrender everything, everything in your life in order to obtain relationship with me. Now, when I, I think of receiving treasure in, in my own life, I, I think of a much simpler time. I, I think about Christmas of, of 1997. And in Christmas of 97, I was an 11-year-old strapping young lad. And, and uh, maybe not that strapping. I'm like 5'6 right now. So I... Okay. We'll deal with that at another time. But in the... the the winter of 97, I was 11, and I received the best Christmas gift I, I have ever received. Certainly, I've ever received as a, a, a child. And that Christmas, I received a, a Nintendo 64, which, if you're a product of the 80s or the 90s, I mean, a Nintendo 64 back in the day, that was a, that was a big deal. And I, I think we actually have a, a picture of, of 
the winter of 97. <laughs> I immediately regret showing that right now as I see it on the big screen. That's me in the back. That's me. Those Harry Potter glasses back there. I'm sure you have a lot of questions about this picture, but we just don't have time to go into it. But, but this, was, this was me right after, right after I had found out that I, I'd gotten a Nintendo 64. Yikes. Yikes. Now, now here's, here's a question I have for us this morning, and here, here's why I was willing to embarrass myself by putting up this picture. If Jesus tells us that living in the kingdom of God is like finding treasure... Why would many of us who, who are here and are followers of Jesus say that our life doesn't look and doesn't feel like Christmas morning in 1997 in my household? Why, why do many of us feel like we're just trying to, to grind our way through life? You know, just trying to put our head down and just make it to the end of the week. Well, why do so many of us who are Christians and are here, well, why would so many of us say, you know, it, it just feels like I, I've exchanged Joy in my relationship with, with Jesus for just you know, dry obligation and duty. Why, why doesn't this picture right here, as embarrassing as it is, why, why doesn't this picture encapsulate for, for so many of us what it, what, what it looks like to follow Jesus? Jesus says, you, you know, following me is, is finding treasure. Why, why doesn't this sum up most of our, our Christian experiences? That, that's the question that we're going to be addressing today. But before we jump in, why don't, why don't we pray? And so if you would pray with me, and also if we'd take down that picture because, wow, yikes. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the chance to, to start a new year in the coming days, and we thank you that you are a God who, who constantly makes things new. And so I, I pray as we step into this new year, God, that there would be a sense of expectation that, uh, that you're a God who's continually showing up, continually making yourself known to us, continually showing us more, more grace, more favor than, than we deserve. We thank you, Jesus, that you're here, and I, I pray that you would put power on my words. That you put power on my words in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I know I'm having a little bit of feedback. Is that distracting for you guys? Is that rough? No? Is it just me? Okay, pray for me then. All right. All right, well, let's, let's jump in. This morning, I, I want to offer up three different reasons why, for many of us, our, our lives don't seem to reflect the parable of the treasure hidden in the field. Three reasons why Jesus really just, if we're honest, isn't treasured in our hearts as he should be. And so here's, here's reason number one. I'm going to give you three quick points today. We struggle to treasure our relationship with Jesus because the message of Jesus feels too good to be true. feels too good to be true. And what, what is the, the message of Jesus? What is the gospel? Let me, let me summarize it just very briefly. The message of Jesus, the gospel, the good news, simply states this, that you and I are sinners. Right? That you and I, that everyone in this room, everyone who's ever lived has has turned our backs on God. We've betrayed him in a myriad of ways. We, we've, we've pushed him away. We've hurt people that we care about. That we've, We are broken people who have sinned and, and fallen short of, of the lives that we were meant to live. And so we are, we are deserving of punishment. 
So the Bible tells us that, that Jesus came into this world, that he took on flesh, and, and he substituted himself in our place on the cross, that he received the wrath of God, the punishment of God that you and I deserve, so that, that we would be forgiven, that we would be, be freed, that we would be redeemed, that our relationship with our heavenly Father would be reconciled. Now that's the, the gospel, that's, that's the message of, of Jesus. And, and this type of love is, is hard for many of us to comprehend. That, that Jesus would love us so much that he would substitute himself in our place and, and die a death that he shouldn't have never died. This type of love, it can feel like fool's gold to us. That When we're told there's this treasure out there, it feels like fool's gold. It feels too good to be true. You know, it's often been said that the longest distance in the world is the distance from, from our head to our hearts. And many of us would say that while we understand the gospel conceptually, we, we understand it in our, our mind, that, that for many of us we would say it's, it's just... It's hard to work it down from our mind down into our heart. The place of our, our feelings and our emotions and our, our deepest beliefs. And, and that has certainly been true in my case. It's certainly been true in my case. That if I'm honest, I, you know, I've, I've been walking with Jesus about 12 years now. And over the course of those 12 years, I, I've, had, I've had times where it was just hard to believe that God really loved me, as his word says, that he loves me, that he, that, that he really cares about me, as, as, as I've read about in his word. And one of, one of the core reasons I've struggled to feel loved or, or liked by the Lord, if, if I can be vulnerable with you guys for a second, if, if you'll allow me that, is, is because, I, I'm, if I'm honest, I, I'm wired in such a way, guys, that that for, for much of, of my life, I've just struggled to like myself. I've just struggled for as long as I can remember. This is before I became a Christian. I've just struggled to like myself. I, I'm wired in such a way that I, I tend to view myself through a critical lens. You know, I'm a bit perfectionistic, and I, I tend to fixate on the one or the two or the three things that I'm, I'm not doing well, the one or the two ways that I'm not measuring up instead of focusing on the nine or ten other things that are just going along fine. I, I, I tend to, to experience guilt and, and, and shame. And this, again, this was before I was a follower of Jesus. This is just the way that I'm, I seem to be wired. I tend to, to fixate on the negative, that I tend to, to focus on what I'm not doing well. And if you're wired in the same way as me, and, and some of you guys are, so some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know that when you struggle to like yourself, it's really hard to believe that other people like you. Right? That, that when you yourself are, are just constantly berating yourself about everything that you're doing wrong, all the ways that you're falling short, it's, it can be really hard to believe that, that other people like you and, and actually love you. And, and so when you come to me, and again, I'm just being honest, and, and you say that there is a God who genuinely enjoys you and loves you and delights in you and he's pursuing you and wants to be in relationship with you, if I'm honest, it feels to me a bit like when, when I received those emails from Nigerian princesses who, who were telling me that if I only float them a few bucks, right, they're, they're, they're going to share their, their vast fortunes with me, right? That, that's my initial reaction. That's just the way that I, I'm wired. Believing that God loves me and that he, 
that he, he cares about me. It's, it's, always been, it's always been a bit of a fight for me. But, but fighting to believe and fighting to receive the love of God, it's the, the most important struggle that we'll ever engage in. It's the most important fight that you'll ever fight. This fight to, to actually believe and receive this good news that Jesus loves you. And by God's grace, I can say that over the years, I've, as I've prayed and as I've dug into Scripture and I've, as I've asked God to move, I, I can say that God has, has brought a lot of healing into my life and that I, 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 am, I am more aware and delight more in God's love than I ever have in the past. But it's been a struggle. It's been a fight because it's not the way I'm naturally wired. Listen, the, the only way that Jesus is ever going to become your treasure the only way that he's ever going to become your treasure is if you know that you know that you know that he loves you. And not simply that, that he loves you because you've become a Christian and you, so you've kind of, you know, forced his hand, right? So it's like, well, I, I guess I have to include this person too because, you know, they, they said the prayer or whatever. That, that you need to know that you know that you know that, that God actually delights in you and rejoices over you and enjoys spending time with you. You know, on the, the day my son was born, three years ago, I'll, I'll never forget, I got to hold him for the first time, <clears throat> and I got to kiss his forehead, and, and, and I got to say to him for the first time, Sam, I love you. But, but you know, as a father, that, that wasn't the only time I've ever said I love you to my son. I, I've said I love you to my son countless times over the last three years, more times than I could ever count. And the, the reason I've done that, church, is, is because... My, my son needs to hear it again. He needs to hear it again. He needs to hear again that he is affirmed and loved and appreciated by his father. And, and if we want to be people who truly treasure Jesus, we need to be people who come to God again and again and again and say, Father, I need to hear it again. I, I need to hear it again that you love me. I, I need to hear it again that you love me. You've spoken to me in the past. You've spoken to me through your word. You've spoken to me through prayer. You've spoken to me when other people have prayed, prayed for me. But I, I, I need to hear it again. I need to hear again that you love me. And some of you here, if you were honest, would say, you know, it's, it's been a long time since I feel like I've had one of those moments in which I, I at the heart level, at the heart level, really felt affirmed and loved and and cared for by my Father. So some of you today might, might say, God, on this day, I, I just, I need to hear it again. I need to hear again that you love me. And perhaps you're here and you're, you're a bit unsure of what you think about Jesus, unsure of what you believe. You know, this is kind of new for you, and you're just here and you're, you're, you're taking in everything and trying to figure out what, what you believe about Jesus. And, and again, as I say every week, you know, if that's you, you are not a Christian and you're, you're here just trying to figure it out, we are so glad that you are here. We are, you are so welcome here. And, and if that's you, perhaps as we enter into the new year, you too might be willing to pray this prayer. God, would you communicate your love to me? Would you speak to me as I, I pray, maybe for the first time in my life, or maybe for the first time in my life as I read your word, would you speak to me about your love? I, I love a, a quote I first heard from a, a missionary to Mozambique named Heidi Baker. This is what she said. She said, in the kingdom of God, 
The hungry always get fed. I love that quote. In the kingdom of God, the hungry always get fed. And what, what Heidi means when she says that is that in the kingdom of God, in God's economy, it's always the people who are the most hungry. Always the people who are coming to the Father again and again and again and asking for more. Those are the ones who get fed. You know, that the squeaky wheel does get the grease in God's economy, in the kingdom of God. And so we need to be people who are hungry, coming before our Father again and again and again and saying, God, I, I need to hear it again. I've experienced you in the past. I, I've had mountaintop experiences with you in the past where you've communicated your love to me, but I, I need to hear it again. So let us be people, guys. Let, let us be people who fight to receive God's love. It's a fight. It's a fight. It's a battle. It's the most worthy battle that we could ever engage in. Here's my second point. We struggle to treasure our relationship with Jesus because we don't create enough space for him. We don't create enough space for him. Now, starting next week, uh, we're going to be starting a new series in, in which... We, we've called Reclaiming Our Time, and, and Pastor Tom and I, for, for the next several weeks, are, are going to be talking about the ways in which we spend our time. We're going to be talking about rest, we're going to be talking about rhythms, we're going to be talking about, about the importance of, of honoring God with our time, and so we're going to have a lot of space over the next few weeks to talk about this issue, and so, so let me just say this, let me just throw this out there because I, I couldn't help it. You know, one of the most sobering, one of the most illuminating, perhaps one of the most embarrassing practices that we could ever perform is to diligently track our, our time for an entire week. It's embarrassing. To spend an entire week actively recording every activity of the day and its length so that you know exactly how much time you spend watching TV, surfing the internet, messing around on your phone, sleeping, eating. I, I've done this before, and let me tell you, it, it can be devastating to actually see the raw numbers in front of you, because none of us actually understand how, how we spend our time. We, we tend, we tend to, to think that we spend our time much more productively than we actually do, but when, when the cold data is right in front of you, it, you know, it can be devastating to realize how much time we, we just waste. And is it any wonder then, with, with so many competing priorities in our lives, that, that many of us would admit that our relationship with Jesus doesn't exactly feel warm and vibrant and full of life? Many of us might say, is it any wonder that my relationship with Jesus doesn't feel like Christmas morning in the root household in 97? Now, when you start dating someone or when you get married, what you find out pretty quickly is that everyone has advice for you, right? Everyone has advice for you on, on what healthy dating experience looks like, on what healthy marriage looks like. But for all the dating advice out there, for all the times people have talked to me about, Here, here's how you do marriage well, here's how you do dating well, I, I've never heard anyone say this. I've never heard anyone give this as marriage advice. You, you know the best way to grow in your love for someone else? You know the best way to grow in your affections and your sacrificial love for another person? Well, why don't you try to avoid each other as much as possible? I, I mean, why, why don't you just try to live separate lives? You know, maybe get together like once a week for an hour, you know, at church. And, and, and for the rest of the week, you can just do your own thing. 
for the rest of the week. You can just live your own lives. I've never had anyone come up to me and you say, you know how you cultivate intimacy? You know how you grow in love for another person? Why don't you fill up your life with so much noise and entertainment and busyness that you, you simply don't have time for one another? Guarantee you, you'll never get in a fight. You'll just never get in a fight. You'll never talk to one another. No, I've, I've never received that advice. No one's ever said that to me. Never read a book about it. Never read a, an article about it. And the, and the reason why I've never heard anyone give that advice, Christian or non-Christian, is because we understand instinctively as humans that if we want to grow in love for another person, for someone else, quality time has to be present, right? We, we just understand that. It, it doesn't matter if you're, you're married to someone who's... who's in the military and they're overseas, you, you need to create space for quality time. You, you, you know, you need to, to have time to talk on the phone. You need to have time where you can have a Skype call. You need to have time where you can put the kids down and, and, and talk about life. We understand instinctively that if we want to grow in, in love for someone else, we need to learn about their heart. We need to learn about their dreams. We need to learn about their desires and what they care about. And, and you guys know where this is going. I, I imagine it is the same way with Jesus. Friends, if we want to be people who, who treasure Jesus, if this is, this is a real desire of ours, we have to be asking ourselves the question, how am I going to create space for Jesus in 2019? How, how is this going to happen? You're busy. I'm busy. We're all busy. That's, that's the reality of living in, in 2018 and not 2019. That, that, that's just the reality, and it's not going to get any easier. And the distractions, the entertainment, the, the, the myriad of, of ways that, that, that you can be pulled away from Jesus, they're not going away. You know, this whole internet fad, it's not going away, right? So we need to figure this out together. And I'm, I'm speaking as someone who needs to figure it out myself. What's our plan? How are we going to create space for Jesus in 2019? Because if we're honest, and again, it's, it's good to be honest, we're in church, a desire without a plan, it's, it's just wishful thinking, isn't it? You have a desire and there's no plan in place, it's just wishful thinking. You want to quit smoking and there's no plan in place, it's not happening. You want to get your finances in order, but there's no plan in place. You're not taking Dave Ramsey here in a couple weeks. You're, you're not willing to create a budget. Your finances aren't getting in order. And if you want to treasure Jesus, if you would say, this is a, this is a real desire in my heart. I, I, I want to treasure him then we have to get serious about creating a plan for how am I going to carve out space to read his word, to spend time in prayer, to spend time in community? How am I going to create space for him? We don't treasure Jesus because there's just not space in our crowded, distracted lives. Now, as we come to our last point, let's, let's read these two verses again so they remain fresh in our minds. This is what we read. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus tells us, is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy he went and he sold all he had and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, both of these two parables have one common element. In both of these parables, the great fortune wasn't available until these two men were willing to sell everything. 
That's the, the common connection point between the two. They're two parables that are essentially giving us the same lesson, teaching us the same point, that, that the treasure wasn't available to these two men until they were willing to surrender everything. They didn't have access to it until they, they liquidated all of their assets, till they got rid of everything that they owned so they could buy the treasure or buy the pearl. So this brings us to our last point. We often struggle to treasure our relationship with Jesus because we haven't surrendered our kingdom, haven't surrendered our little life. Now, what does it mean to to metaphorically surrender our kingdom? To surrender our little kingdom is to dispose of anything in our life that hinders our relationship with Jesus. And further, to surrender our kingdom, our, our little domain over which we have control, also means that we bring all of our time, we bring all of our resources, we bring all of our desires before our King Jesus and we lay them at his feet. We surrender our little kingdom when we come to our our King Jesus and we say, you can have everything. There's nothing off limits. There's, There's nothing that's out of bounds. You are worth losing everything for that we might have you. There's always one page of sermon that I find. Pray for me. Now, now, sometimes, guys, surrendering our, our kingdoms, it, it happens in one grand gesture. Sometimes surrendering our kingdom looks like one giant leap of, of surrender, one giant leap of, of faith. So, for example, you, you might decide to, to adopt the children that, that God has placed on your heart. There are some kids that God has just been speaking to you about. I want you to adopt these kids. And even though it's going to bring a lot of disruption to your nice, neat clean life, you might say, no, no, this is, this is something we have to do. This is something God is asking us to surrender. And that might be adopting children or, or surrendering to, to God, surrendering your kingdom in one giant leap. It might look like answering God's call to work for a nonprofit, to, to spend your, your life serving the marginalized, serving the poor, serving those who don't typically have a voice, even though you could be making a lot more money in a different sector. Right? Surrendering your kingdom might look like selling your home and downsizing just so that you have more room to, to spend your money on on. On other things. You, you might look around at your house and say, we, it's just too much space for us right now. We just don't need all of this space. And so we're going to, to choose to downsize so that we have more, more money to give away, more money to serve, more money to help people, more money to see God's kingdom come. You know, when I, I think of surrendering one's kingdom in one grand gesture, I, I, I think of the Moravians. Moravians really... Really interesting group you should, you should read about. The Moravians were a group of 18th century German Christians who experienced a, a great move of renewal in their community. And following this, this revival that happened in their, their small community, over the period of just a couple of decades, they sent out over 226 missionaries to over 10 different countries. Not, not, not short-term missionaries, not like, hey, you know, we're going to Columbia for a week, which, again, great. I love short-term missions. But these were 226 full-time missionaries that went all over the world in in the late 1700s. 
Now, what I find really wild about the Moravians, why I bring these guys up, these guys were wild, you should read about them, is that when they would go on their missionary journeys, they, they would put all of their items in caskets. They, they used caskets as suitcases because they just assumed that wherever they were going, they weren't coming back. They just assumed, I'm either going to die of martyrdom, or I'm going to die because I, I contract some disease, or I'm just going to die of old age among the people that God has, has called me to serve. And I, I guess they were a pretty practical bunch, and so they said, why don't I just have my casket made up now, so when I inevitably die, you know, I'll already have a way to be buried. I mean, you talk about a picture of surrendering your kingdom in one giant leap. There's this group of men and women going around carrying their caskets saying, where do you want us to go, Lord? I love that. I love that. Two of these 226 individuals, two white men of European ancestry, they, they actually sold themselves into slavery in the Americas so that they could share the gospel with, with slaves on, on American plantations. Took a boat. Germany, Africa, then, then to the Americas so they could live out their lives as slaves sharing the gospel with, with those around them. This is, this is surrendering our kingdom in one, one big leap. And, and you know, sometimes God asks us to do that. Sometimes God comes knocking at our door and asks us for something that feels like our entire lives. And, and scripture's clear. If we want Jesus to be our treasure, we need to be willing to say, God, you can have everything. You can have everything. But you know, surrendering our, our kingdoms, it often doesn't look nearly as dramatic or heroic, does it? Sometimes our, our surrounding, or surrendering rather, our kingdoms, it, it occurs over time with, with many small moments of surrender. It's no grandiose, big gesture on our part, but it's just many, many, many deaths. Many, many, many moments of surrender. Sometimes our surrendering our, our kingdom, it sounds like this. In 2019, I am finally going to join a home group here at the Vineyard. You know, I've been coming around for a while. Been, been meeting people, but you know, I, I just, I really don't feel known here at the Vineyard. Or I feel like my relationships here at the Vineyard are like an inch deep. And so this year, I'm finally going to do it. I'm going to join a home group, and I'm going to find community. I'm going to find community. I'm going to commit myself to a group of people here at the church. You know, right outside our, our, our main entryway there, you're going to find a list of small groups, of home groups here at the church. Why not after the service? Why not pick up one of those, those little cards and commit? And the next year, I'm going to join a small group. Some of you might say, in 2019, I'm going to start tithing. I'm going to actually give 10% of my money to the church. You know, money is tight right now. I don't have a lot of extra income. I've never done this before. I'm used to just kind of throwing, you know, money into the plate when I have it. But, you know, I'm taking the leap, and, and I'm going to start tithing, believing that God is capable of providing for my needs. I'm going to surrender this year. This year I'm going to find a ministry and I'm going to start serving here at the church that, that every week I'm not just going to come and receive and receive and receive. I'm actually going to find a way to serve here. 
I'm going to start serving in the kids' classrooms on, on Sunday mornings. I'm going to start helping out with our grocery giveaway once a month. You know, I, I, would, I would recommend trying a, a few different things, feeling out what works for you. But, but maybe a small step of surrender this year for you would be to, to say, you know what, I, I don't want to continue going to church without finding a way to serve the community that God has placed me in. Some of you might say, you know, this year I'm going to actually get to know my neighbors on my street. It's a bit embarrassing because I've been living on this street for eight years and I know like two names, I think. I forgot one of them, so I know one name now, right? And so I'm, I'm going to actually knock on people's doorsteps or knock on people's doors, rather, and, and get to know people that live around me. I'm, I'm going to look for ways to serve my neighbors, and I'm going to ask God to give me openings so that I can invite them to church, that I can share the gospel with them. You know, some of you might say, this year, I, I'm, I'm going to stop picking up every extra shift of work that comes my way. That, you know, it's really tantalizing. Every time I see that time and a half or that double pay, and I just always pick it up, always pick it up. But, but the reality is, as I look at my life, and I'm just so tired all the time, because I just work so much. So I'm just committing. I'm not going to pick up every extra shift this coming year. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to talk to my spouse about it. If, if you have one, you might just say, I, I'm going to be more conscious of the fact that if I'm constantly working, I just don't have the energy, don't have the space for Jesus. Some of you might say, I'm, I'm going to pick up a Bible reading plan this year. Never read through the Bible. Starting January 1, I'm going to read through the Bible in the coming year. Friend, what, what's God asking you to surrender in as we head into the, the new year? What, what just needs to go? What needs to go? And what's God asking you to step into? God has, God has plans for you. He has dreams for you. <laughs> This is purely an aside, so we'll, we'll see where this goes. But, you know, the, Jeremiah 29 is, is referenced often, and it's a powerful verse, for I know the plans I have for you. You know that one? Have that on your refrigerator? And, and often when, when we think about, you know, I know the plans I have for you, we tend to think of it in terms of the good things that God has in store for us, right? And rightfully so. It, it does mean that. But I think when, when God looks at us and says, I know the plans I have for you, he's also thinking about all the ways he wants to use us to be a blessing for other people. I know the plans I have for you. I have wired you in such a way that you would be great at this. You would be such a blessing to your church if you would just do this. You would be such a blessing to your neighborhood if you just did this. You'd be such a blessing to your family if you were willing to surrender this to me and do this. I know the plans I have for you. I know how I've wired you. Some of you, you, you are just so passionate about, about certain aspects of this world, about certain injustices. And, and God is looking at you and saying, it is your move. It's your move. I know what I've put in you. I know the plans I have for you. So some of us this year might say, God, I, I, I want to I step into that. I don't want to just continue to tread water. How much time I got? We got enough. You know, our, our current culture is just infatuated with attempting to accomplish more while exerting less effort. You, you, ever, you ever notice that? That we, we, we are just infatuated with, how can I do more? How can I achieve more? How can I accomplish more while, 
while doing less, while exerting less effort. You know, a few years ago, I, I remember seeing ads for the first time for, for ab belts. Have you seen those things? They're these things that just, you know, shake your belly, and they, the advertisements tell you that if you're sitting on your couch and you're eating potato chips, watching TV, but this thing is shaking on your stomach, that you're going to get six-pack abs, right? We just love ideas like that. How can I find something where it requires no work on my part, and yet, yet more stuff gets done, more goals get accomplished? But the problem with things like the ab belt is that it just doesn't work, right? It, it, it's crazy to find out that actually when, when, when we try these, these hacks, 99.9% of the time they just don't work. And so let us not be people, guys, as we enter into 2019, let us not be people who fall for what I would call ab-belt Christianity. <laughs> let us not believe that Jesus can be foremost in our heart can be the very treasure of our heart, the very delight of our life, and, and yet, yet there be no intentionality required on our part. Friends, there, there is joy out there. There is joy out there. There's joy for us. It, it is possible for Jesus to become our treasure, to have our hearts well up in love and gratitude at the very mention of the name of Jesus. That, that is possible. And maybe there's been a time in your life where you experienced that. I know I've had times like that. But, but these parables are clear. There's a reason Jesus told the same story essentially twice. He was trying to drive this point home that if we want him to be our treasure, our response is required on our part first. We've got to be willing to surrender everything. We have to be willing to surrender our little kingdoms, our little lives. So just to sum up, how, how do we make Jesus our treasure in 2019? If, if we want people to be people, rather, who, whose lives reflect Christmas morning at the Root household in 97, three things need to happen. Number one, we need to begin to treasure, excuse me, we begin to treasure Jesus when we know that we know that we know that he loves us. When we hear him again and again saying, I love you, I love you. Secondly, we begin to treasure Jesus when we create space for him. There's a space to grow with him, space to have quality time. And lastly, <clears throat> we begin to treasure Jesus when we surrender our little kingdoms, our, our very lives to him. Why don't we stand? Let's stand together. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. Well, here's, here's what I want to do. Just a moment, I'm going to give some of us a chance to respond. And instead of having folks head to the, the wings and receive prayer today, I'm, I'm just going to have folks come forward. You can, you can kneel, you can stand, you know, you can stand on your head, whatever you want to do up here, but don't stand on your head, that's distracting. But I'm, I'm just going to give folks the chance to respond. And, and there's a couple different groups that I, I would love to come forward. You know, at the very beginning of this sermon, I, I said that in the kingdom of God, the hungry always get fed, right? And there's some of us today who, who know that you need to hear again the affirmation of your father. 
that you need to hear again that you have a Father in heaven who loves you, who cares about you, who sees all your junk and all your brokenness and all your duplicity and yet still loves you as a Father. And I don't know if it's going to be today. I believe in the Lord for that. I believe many of you might have really powerful encounters with the Lord up front today. But regardless if it's today or a week from now or a month from now, some of us here today just need to say, God, I'm going to keep coming back, keep coming back saying, I need to hear it again. I need to hear it again. I need to hear it again, Father, that you love me until it happens. And so if that's where you're at, you need to hear again that your God loves you. That he's for you. That, that your, your sins have been thrown into the ocean. As the Psalms tell us. Then I'm just going to invite you to come forward. You can kneel, you can stand. As a way of saying to God, this is me coming and this is me saying, I, I need to hear it again. And then secondly, uh, you know, I ended the sermon by talking about this, this need need for surrender on our part. There's one point tying these two small parables together, and that's without surrender, we don't get the treasure. And and so if you're you're someone that that knows God as we enter this new year is calling you to surrender something, I I would love for you to to come forward and, and offer that to the Lord. Some of you, you know that there's just something in your life that needs to go some relationship, some habit, some addiction. And you know that it needs to go. And there's others of you that you know that God is asking you to step into something new, something that's scary, something that's going to radically adjust your schedule, something that's going to bring a lot of, a lot of mess or discomfort or, or, or challenges into your life. And this is an opportunity for you to say yes. This is an opportunity for you to say, God, as we enter into this new year, I don't want there to be anything in between you and me. And so if, if, if you connect with either of those, why, why don't you begin to, to come forward now? If you need to hear again that your father loves you, why don't you begin to come forward Say, I just need to hear afresh that my God loves me, that he's for me. It's been a hard year. It's been a hard year. I feel disconnected from my father. I need to hear it again, God, that you haven't left me, that you haven't neglected me, that you haven't forgotten about me. I need to hear it again. And then there's others of you that you, you just know, I haven't surrendered everything yet. I haven't sold everything yet. I haven't bought the field. And, and if that's where you're at, why, why don't you just begin to come forward? It's just a way of saying to the Lord, as much as it's on me, God, as much as it depends on me, I, I want to honor you with this. And for the rest of us, let's, let's sing one last worship song.